Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you're a good, good Father. You're the model of all fathers. You're the inspirer of all that is good in all of us. The good that comes out is evidence of your light shining through us. So today, I pray you use that light to speak to our minds, to our awareness of some of the things we're going to be hearing today, including myself. Make it come alive in my own head as I continue to process this big topic. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. This is big. I just got this hat today because apparently I say this is big. It's a lot. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, my goodness. I won't put it on right now because, yeah, hat head. But in all honesty, this topic is huge. It's big. Let's read this. Forgiveness doesn't excuse their behavior. Forgiveness prevents their behavior from destroying your heart. This topic is multifaceted. This topic is not a little tiny one sermon, one devotional type content. This is life-changing depth. And the series that I'm walking you through is called Healing Life's Hurts Through Understanding Forgiveness. So when I'm talking about life's hurts, I'm not talking about somebody bumping into you and spilling your coffee. I'm not even talking about, oops, I had a car accident, I'm sorry. I'm talking about solical emotional hurts that you may be aware of or may not be aware of. And all those contributing factors that add to who you are and how you express yourself today. This is big. I just said that. Oops. <laughs> I guess I do say that. So far I've covered, I'm not going to read all this, but for video purposes, if you zoom in on that, you don't have to totally zoom in, but uh, they can pause, freeze frame. But these are the 15 points I've covered already. And the reason I'm showing it is because this is going to be saved online. And if somebody sees this video on its own, I want them to see this is part of a series. And the other part of this, because it's part of a series, I can't always go back and update Oh, what do you mean by that? Well, I already covered that back in number two or three quite well, actually. I can't keep rebutting and, and correcting the what-ifs and why. What about that as I'm going? So if I notice something could be big, then I'll try to address that at the time. But uh, this is part of a series, and each part builds on the other. We began with what is forgiveness and seeing multiple definitions of it. Then we talked about what is our source, who is our source, that Jesus is our source of forgiveness. Then we talked about why, why do we have to forgive? That was pretty big in my heart. Then we got into what forgiveness is not, and this is part three so far. And I'm going to try and get this done today. This is a, this is going to move fast. Just to warn you, okay? So don't say, oh, you're talking fast. I know I'm talking fast. Let's go. All right. Number 16. Forgiveness is not letting the person off the hook. So when we forgive, it does not mean we're letting them off the hook. It does not mean you passively stand by and allow injustice to continue. Forgiveness is not tolerance. We do not tolerate sin when we forgive. 
But there is a mentality of pe- in people that think, if I forgive, I'm just letting it go. I'm tolerating it. Oh, it's my burden i got to deal with. But then we deal with the issue of justice. How do we deal with some serious stuff? What about crimes? This is huge. Forgiveness is not neglecting justice. In fact, if a crime has been committed, we can simultaneously forgive someone and call the police at the same time. Now, here's something sad that happened at a church in a town I used to live in. They were having some congregational meeting, and some guy didn't understand public confession, or the church misused the idea of you need to confess in front of the church. So he just stood up and said, hey, I've defrauded a whole ton of people, and I'm sorry. By the time he left, the police were at the door. Somebody called the cops on him, right then and there, like, 911, and like, we're talking back to back to back. Now, do the police need to, get, need to get involved? Yes. But the timing of the unloving believers, the way they did that, is like, are you kidding me? You know, but anyway, just, I, I thought it was funny. You know, okay, maybe you didn't, but to me, that, that was pretty harsh. There's another individual that I know of who also had uh, been exposed to some sexual abuse by a particular teacher, principal person. And uh, this person confronted and had to go through the justice system and walk through it while still having an attitude of some kind of forgiveness of whatever that means to them. And not everybody does that. You can still go pursue all of that without having to forgive them. But I, I'm trying to encourage us that forgiveness actually leads to the pursuit of proper justice. It's a misconception. You don't let a child abuser off the hook. You don't put your kid back in the care of that abuser. Justice has to be served. You have to remove the threat. This is about the body of Christ and healthy relationships. Does that make sense? Good, I hope so. We cannot have the attitude, well, we're Christians, we love everybody, it's okay, come on in, keep abusing us. That's, that's, that's so passive and unbiblical and un-Jesus. Okay? Let's take a look at this one. Romans 13, 1 to 7. This is from the Passion Translation. I love how they wrote this one. Every person must submit to and support the authorities over him. Most people, they go, la, 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 la. I'm not going to listen to that one, la, 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 la. Okay, that's just how it works. For there can be no authority in the universe except by God's appointment, which means that every authority that exists has been instituted by God. So to resist authority is to resist the divine order of God, which results in severe consequences. For civil authorities don't intimidate those who are doing good, but those who are doing evil. So do what is right. You'll never need to fear those in authority. They will commend you for, doing, for your good citizenship. Those in authority are God's servants for the good of society. But if you break the law, you have reason to be alarmed, for they are God's agents of punishment to bring criminals to justice. Why do you think they carry weapons? You are compelled to obey them, not just to avoid punishment, but because you want to live with a clean conscience. This is also the reason you pay your taxes. La, 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 la. I can just hear you guys doing that. Here it goes. For government authorities are God's officials who oversee these things. So it's your duty to pay all the taxes and fees that they require and to respect those who are worthy, who are worthy of respect, honoring them accordingly. That's a whole different sermon. But this has to do with the authorities dealing with the injustice of how you may have been hurt or violated. All right? You can go on your own rabbit trails for the other stuff. <laughs> and I'm smiling quietly. 
Let's keep going. The real Jesus ended up confronting the Pharisees. He called them on their legalism, on the short-sightedness, on having lost their heart for the true love of God. They spoke it, demanded it, but didn't. How does that work? The real Jesus made a whip. He cleared out the temple, saying, This is not what this house was designed for. Get out! Funny there was no Roman guards there trying to stop him. They're probably going, Great! Do it. They saw the bogusness. The woman caught in adultery. Was, Jesus confronted the unjust judges. They were using the law to trap Jesus to kill the woman because they knew they'd get Jesus trapped. And he set her free. He was the justice. Justice is not payback. Oh, it is in the Roman world and in our legal system. Western legal system. That, 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 you have to understand your definitions. You've got to get it right. Justice in our current legal system is somebody does something to you, payback. And that means punishment, whatever, all this. It's about payback. Biblical justice. Hebrew justice is about put back to what has been broken. Restore back to what it should have been. Fix. Make right again. Not payback. Do you see the stark difference between those two? So it can be very confusing in our world, especially in churchianity. By the way, I'm disappointed with pastors who use that previous verse and say you've got to respect all authority, and they think they are an authority. I have, as a pastor, I have no authority. I have influence. I have a role. My job is to love, is to equip the saints to do the work. I don't have authority. I can't tell people what to do. Who is our only authority? It's not a trick question, folks. (laughs) Jesus, the Holy Spirit in us. That's why I constantly remind you, regardless of what's up here and what I'm saying, you still need to ask the Holy Spirit, I didn't like what he just said. Is he right or, or is there something I'm missing? Because I'm sharing with you my transitions and journey as I wrestle through some tough texts in Scripture, not having fully arrived, but inviting you to some answers I've come to that are finding hope in me. And I want to spread that hope. That's what this church is about. Spreading hope, inspiring joy. There's a better good news out there. And he lives in us and he's spoken to this world. It began with the angels saying, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for some people, those who say the prayer right. He said, they said it's for all people. So if your gospel isn't good news for everybody, it's not good news and it's not the real gospel. Just saying. Joseph brothers, they were, <laughs> honestly, they meant for evil. But God used that for good. God knew in advance. His story is probably one of the most confusing because honestly, it, it's suggesting heavily that God has an influence in the path of our lives. <laughs> that there's more going on besides the crap we're walking through. There's more going on. And it's about us yielding, trusting Instead of trying to control, being angry, blah, 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 blah. I'm, I'm learning this one. And uh, 
I'm, I'm seeing little glimmers of hope of, ooh, I jumped back from the, the, the pathway of, you know, a little faster than I normally do. It's slow and subtle. I love it. Yeah, so do the other drivers around me. Then we have um, confrontation. If I don't say this later, I've got to say it now. When we confront, wisdom has to be exercised. Because I've talked about confronting out of love. Once you're forgiven, then you can confront, right? There are some personalities that will go, great, I'm going to confront now, and they love confrontation. Back off. And there are those who will never confront and need to be drawn into actually confronting in a healthy way. You have to understand the definitions and the intent. Wisdom for those avoiding confrontation and wisdom for those who rush into it easily. We do not get to be the rules police confronting people. It's the Holy Spirit's job to convict, convince us. And in this Western culture, we're a full-speed society that rushes into judgment, rushes into confrontation faster than we want to. We rush into assumptions. And yet, the Holy Spirit is the one who cleans those assumptions out. And until you have a very clear, peaceful yes, you dare not confront. Be careful. I'm talking about the personal interrelational stuff. There's a price to pay. Offenders need to pay. So for heavy, heavy duty things like this individual that uh, was a sexual predator, he needs to pay for the counseling. It's got to happen. I heard a story of a man down the street in some village who abused a little girl up the street, and they finally called out to him. They went down the street, and, and uh, they said, we forgive you, and they walked away. That was it. That's all they did. What they should have done is confronted him and then call him to account, and then he has to pay for the journey of healing that is required. This is, this is large. <laughs> Forgiveness is also not pardoning. And I think the definition of pardon has been mixed up in our culture in light of governmental, presidential pardons of clearly wrongdoing individuals, but there's a blanket pardon to get off scot-free. It's like... Uh, a uh, convicted individual of a certain has done a certain thing, and the president says, "Okay, they're pardoned," just as he's ending their term, his term. You know, that kind of that. This is an issue we got to understand because when we're dealing with the what forgiveness is not, by removing what it is not, brings a clearer picture to what it is. The one after this is the most important, I think. But for now, it's not pardoning. It's a legal term about releasing the offender from the consequences of what they did. Legal consequences may very well be in order. Society needs to be protected. And true forgiveness will empower you to pursue legal requirements. If you, don't, if you don't hear it yet, you're going to. But I might as well tell you now, true forgiveness begins in the heart which does not mean you have to immediately rush through all these steps that I've been kind of alluding to. If you assume, oh no, that, that I can see the trajectory that that's going to happen, get your eyes off that. This is about now. Right now and only now. You're trying to control your future emotions by thinking this through. Stop it. 
protection. So I can't do that. Of course you can't do that. You're not there. You're here. So here, right now, forgive those who've hurt you. Between you and your Heavenly Father, right there. And when we, start, when we talk about what forgiveness is, it's an event and a process. I'm sneak peeking you for what's coming. But you've got to know that in case you misunderstand. I don't want you to misunderstand. Uh, according to dictionary.com and Wikipedia, uh, pardon re- uh, refers to the release of an offender from the legal consequences of an offense or conviction and, and often implicitly from blame. It was pardoned for his treasons. It means to exonerate, acquit, amnesty. Even though they did it. Do you know what I mean? It's, okay, I'm not going to finish reading that because the other part's coming. This part's way, way more important. Number 18 and final, what forgiveness is not. And at Christmas time... This series is about why Jesus came. He came to reveal who he is, clean up the misconceptions of how people saw his father, and to bring forgiveness and give us his life, make us new creations. Did he succeed? Yes, he did. That's why this series is still... Ha- Otherwise, I'd be doing a Christmas thing and taking a break. But all this is part of the same deeper message of Jesus coming to reconcile the world. Forgiveness is not restoration. This may be the biggest block people have as to why they do not forgive. Because I grew up believing, Sam, sorry, little Johnny, and now you're friends. You're forced to shake hands at school and lie all the teachers that force you to lie. <laughs> if you're a teacher, don't do that. <laughs> Seriously, to force people to move beyond what they're, re- they're not prepared to do yet is a false message and will create greater fear to authentically forgive anyone down the road. Forgiveness does not mean you have to be back in connection with them. I've had people say, well, you obviously haven't forgiven them because you won't talk to them. Oh, let me, let me hear your definition of what you think forgiveness is then. Because with this part of it, now I'm able to forgive individuals and still keep a distance because I'm not going to expose myself to their toxicity, to the constant patterns of where they refuse to acknowledge or change. And I'm going to protect me and my family. Forgiveness is not restoration. But restoration can come. But it is not forgiveness. Please tell me you understand now. You hear that difference between the two. Yes? Nod? I want to know you're alive? Okay. Forgiveness does not mean you are required to trust them again. Forgiveness does not mean that you must trust people who have broken your trust. Because if you think that, you're running ahead to way up there that's not even here. By the way, it's a big fog cloud. You have no idea what's coming. Control freak. Oh, it takes one to know one. <laughs> I see a lot. We want to control that stuff. We want to know how it's going to play out. Stay up late at night trying to ponder what's going on when there's a relationship crisis. How many nights do we stay awake or wake up early, constantly stressed? Oh no. And it builds and builds and builds because our communication is terrible. We're afraid, afraid to talk. You can have protective boundaries with, an abu- with abusive people even after you forgive them. 
Remember, the act of forgiveness is separate from maybe trusting again or whatever. It's a separate thing. I'm, I'm splitting those up so you don't cross pollinate or mix them into a, a thing that it isn't. And can even seek, you can even seek justice through the law once you've forgiven. Also, it can take time for trust to be rebuilt even if it's been broken. It takes two parties to experience full restoration. Forgiveness is a one-way street. When you forgive that person, it's for your benefit, not theirs. It may have a residual effect and benefit them, but the act of forgiveness is for you, for your healing, for your inner peace. Do you remember back in the session on why we need to forgive, that Dr. Caroline Leaf clip, the seven-minute clip? There's a physical reason why we need to forgive. There's more going on than we possibly know. Sure, it's wonderful if reconciliation does happen, but it should never be expected or forced on by anyone. And the church I grew up in did do that. They said, if you have not forgiven and you're not having fellowship together, then you clearly have not forgiven. Therefore, you are living in unforgiveness and sin. You cannot take communion. Like, I'm just saying the domino effects go crazy. It's, it's so dumb. And yet, this is so simple. I didn't say easy, did I? This is not easy. But it is simple. When we declutter our filter of what we think forgiveness is, and it becomes clear, and suddenly the love of God starts flowing through, oh, I can do this because I, I, the real I, the union me, is one with the one who is love, who is the forgiver. Therefore, I can because he's the source. I'm not the source of my source. I'm not the source of my forgiveness. He is. Therefore, I call on Almighty God who lives in me and in this universe, who holds all things together, to be my forgiver. And for that person I cannot forgive, please empower me to forgive and begin to change my heart, even if it takes 10 years. Begin today. I surrender. moment. You may have to pray that prayer a lot of times and sometimes with clenched teeth. Oops. Forgiveness is an internal personal issue, whereas restoration is an external relational issue. Do you see the difference? I'm hammering this one because this is the biggest topic of what forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is a part of the restoration process, but it is not restoration. Restoration involves repentance, which many times leads to restitution, correction. Ephesians 4.32 says, Forgive one another just as God through Christ has forgiven you. It's a command with a promise. We are commanded to forgive, not by the church, not by your pastor, not by your judgmental Christian friend. You're called, commanded to forgive by the love of Christ. And if it's from the love of Christ calling you to forgive, it's going to come with some hope. Oh, I can do this. But otherwise, it's a judgment telling you you must. It's a law, a rule. And what do most people do with laws and rules? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yes. Yes, it does happen. If we have a blanket restoration belief, two things are going to happen. If you think it's restoration is, 
is part of it. They, they, the individual forces themselves to do it, and, go and they go and say, I forgive you. But inside is a tremendous sense of violation still, because there has never been a repentance or an acknowledgement of the wrong. No attempt at restitution. Secondly, a flat-out I won't do it is a refusal, but because they have been told they have to, they now struggle with guilt that they haven't yet. The tentacles of this topic reach into places inside of us we don't know. But pulling it out is the Holy Spirit's job, and the Holy Spirit does it gently enough because he does it, she does it with love. From love. Because we're filled and held together by love. That I trust. Do you trust your Heavenly Father? Do you trust the Holy Spirit? Do you trust Jesus? How you answer that determines how you walk through this journey of forgiveness. Tells you a lot. 1 John 2.2 2 says, He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins, and not only our sins, but the sins of the world. There's a price to pay. If you cannot acknowledge the person has offended you, then you have nothing to forgive. But you're lying to yourself. There has to be an acknowledgement. Jesus took, a, took the payment. He, he did this. For our sins, but also the world's. Ephesians 1, 3-8 says, Blessed be God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with some blessings. Oh, wait, oops. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Therefore, you have everything you need now. You lack nothing. So quit praying from lack Quit talking from lack. Quit thinking from a deficiency that doesn't exist. Because the more you think it and believe it, to you it's a deficiency. But we have been told boldly you have everything. Including the power to forgive the person you can't forgive. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses reminding us we are forgiven according to the riches of his grace, not ours, his, which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight. Have you ever lavished gifts on your kid? It's like, oh, they're opening these presents. I'm talking about little kids now. Although some big kids do the same thing, you know. Like, it's fun to, to give them a whole bunch. I know Lori, she finds all sorts of little things, and it looks like, holy smokes, but it's all a bunch of little things. Maybe not this year, so just in case our kids have an expectation, forget it. <laughs> but it's a whole bunch of stuff opening up. It's like, wow, 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 and they're all thoughtful. Lavished. You have been lavished with the grace of God refocus your thinking to the lavish love of God in the middle of your stress of trying to deal with a forgiveness issue and watch your eyes be focused on him now and not on do I need to forgive or I can't and all that stuff because that's the wrong way to think. Because as you focus on the lavish love of the Father who's equipped you with absolutely everything, guess what happens? Your Heavenly Father will bring to your attention what it is you need to do and when. It is to do. He doesn't need your help. And that ain't comfortable for some of us because we want to get this taken care of. 
growth can't be taken care of. It strategically takes time, drinking, growing, becoming bigger, tree of life. John 3, 16 and 18 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. By the way, eternal life is a person named Jesus. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, and yet that's what many people scream out. God's going to judge you. What do you do with this one? Right after the for God so loved you part, they leave that out. He didn't come to judge, but that the world might be saved through him. He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. In order for a man or woman to experience forgiveness, they must repent, change their mind, see themselves as God sees them. And that's one of the gifts this church is giving to this community and to whoever hears this message. Teaching people who they are, see themselves as Christ saw them. The mirror Bible is one copy left back there. That whole mirror Bible by Francois Dutrois is written from the perspective of looking in the mirror as Jesus and looking back and what we see in him is us. We're one with him. And too many people put a piece of cardboard in front of the mirror and say, I can't handle that. It can't be true. Jesus is pulling that away slowly, revealing the internal profound love, acceptance. He likes you a lot. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, the new things have come. Now these things are from God, who will reconcile us to himself. Oh, that's not what it says. Who reconciled. D. D. Past tense. D. D. Can you say D? D. <laughs> reconciled us to himself through Christ. That's where the reconciliation took place. At the cross. And by the way, where was God? (laughs) God was in Christ. Reconciling those who say the prayer? Nope. The world to himself. Not counting their trespasses against them. And yet we tell unbelievers, your sins are made of separation from you and God's holding your sins against you. What do you make of this? I'm sorry, that opinion's clearly wrong and I'm going to stick with this blunt love verse. This is good news for everybody. He has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, He has called us to declare the reconciled. Verse 19 in two other translations says, For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them, and he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. And having put in us the word of reconciliation. This is the gospel. This is what we're called to do, to declare the reconciliation. And I, say, I hear the exact opposite on street corners, including that individual recently that hit the news and publicly declared, almost like a hellfire brimstone, 
thing in downtown Kitchener. Seriously? I like to hear him preach the scripture. <laughs> but they don't know it. They don't believe it. So they're only preaching what they believe. Keep growing in your belief. You've not arrived. You're still growing in grace. So am I. Reconciliation comes from the Latin word reconcilianto. It's like a very good Italian dish, you know? A reestablishing, a reinstatement. It's restoration, renewal, a reconciling reconciliation. To reconcile means recreate friendly relationships. Wait, let's pause. Where did the friendly relationship get busted up? Garden of Eden. You guys are looking at me like, um, okay. <laughs> they ate the fruit, and in their minds, they became dead in their minds and thought their relationship with God was gone. They thought they were evil, dirty, impure. They covered themselves up. Oh, don't come near me. We have sinned. But God comes in the garden just like every other day. Yo, Adam, where are you? He knew where they were. Buddy, oh, where are you? We're hiding. Why are you hiding? You know, like he came as if it was good. It was not on God's end. There was a problem. It was a man's end. Oh, it's so different. Oh, so he reconciled, reestablished the friend relationships. And he had to do it by making us new creations so we have a new way of thinking. So the contamination of darkness can no longer be the voice screaming into our heads. And he took all of humanity into himself when he died. And when he rose, all of humanity rose. And now he's calling us to be reconciled, to believe. So let's say, hey Paul, let's say uh, uh, Paul's afraid of picking up a spider. Okay, just, let's just say, I know you're not. But and I'm, I'm going to tease him and say, come on, Paul, be a man. You know. So when I say be a man, does that mean Paul's a little boy now? No. I'm saying be who you already are. Be a man. Be who you already are. Be reconciled. Listen to that. Be reconciled. Not as if you aren't. Be because you are. I have never heard that before until the last couple of years. I always thought it was conditional. I'm not, therefore I need to be. Oh, may that mess your head up. I love it. We settle it in our hearts, the issue. We forgive from the heart. But do we restore them without repentance? Not a chance. No way. Here's a practical example. A person hurts me. I'm told to simply restore them. That Well, no, I can't do that. I'm not going to simply restore them. But I will forgive them from the heart, and I'll put away the anger. And by the way, this could take a long time. Don't think this is a vending machine answer or a three-point quick sermon that's over in 10 minutes. Clearly, you know that's not true. <laughs> At some point, I'm going to be able to love them, but love is the issue, not restoring them. My forgiveness is about loving them again. It may not be restored. I may not have restoration. I may not have reconciliation. But between me and God, God's going to change my heart so I don't have to be so bitter. And that happened to me. Remember that story of the pig and Dan and the pig last week? The guy who was the cause of a lot of that pain, um, I saw him in a mall years later, and something big happened to me in a split second. Because when I saw one, hey, so-and-so, you know, he was kind of surprised, and I had this happen to me. 
I had an authentic happiness to see him? Seriously? The guy that did all that stuff? I was like, <gasps> and at that instant millisecond, the peace of God reminded me, look what I've done. The bitterness has left you. Yeah, not in his eyes, though. <laughs> he kept going. He, there's nothing else. But in me, I will never forget the power of God instantly reminding me, see, told you I'm good. <laughs> that was awesome. Here's what love does for them when we love them. Love does what is best. Love does what is right for them. Love will lead to having me confront them. How? In love. Not to confront out of vengeance or anger. Sometimes we want to confront because they're, why'd you do that? When again, remember, this is the relational stuff I'm talking about. Not acts per se. This is the relational heart forgiveness topic. Are you getting the general picture of the series? This is, this is about relationships because in life, relationships matter big. But if you don't first forgive, then, if you don't forgive, first forgive then, then I will confront out of anger. And then uh, it, I'll be back after the vengeance. I'll try and get payback. So forgiveness needs to come first. So your attitude is right. When I, I ended up confronting my mom uh, a number of years ago, uh, I told my, warned my dad I was going to do it. I said, Dad, it's not going to be pretty. I'm calling her out on stuff. And I had to forgive her before I went into that meeting because I did not want to do it in anger. I was gentle. I was firm. And I clearly verbalized all my grievances to her. But I confronted her in love. Did she take it in love? No. No, no. In fact, she got so agitated. She got so riled up. My dad's got tears in his eyes because he knows it's all, he was all, it was all true. And I had to leave because she said, How dare you talk to me like this? You are the son of Satan. And I'm thinking, I didn't say this, but I thought it. What does that make you? <laughs> it's just funny. It's funny. It's funny. Okay. But that... <laughs> Somebody's going to think it, okay? <laughs> but the point is, it was not received. And I worked it out with some counsel and in the presence of my father sitting on the couch, knowing full well. So I had some accountability there to make sure I did it right. Love does that. Now, after that, guess how often I visited? Not very. And if I did, I did it for my father. And I did it in short increments. And I had to leave a couple of times because she got on her bandwagon and said, Mom, I warned you. I'm gone. Bye. And I walked right to the door. She was yelling at me. Hey, you can't do that. Oh, yeah, watch me. You know, for my sake. But I still kept going back. And more and more, the pattern began. And I had longer visits with her. They were never very long. But there was some civility that came back. I didn't abandon. But if I didn't see patterns of letting up and lightening up, I probably would have gone the other way. When we confront, we look for two things. We look for confession and conduct. Both have to happen with somebody who, uh, when, when, when we confront them, if we're going to accept it. If we're looking for confession, we're not looking for, I am sorry. Remember, we talked about that last week. Uh, that is not confession. I am sorry is simply an emotion centered on the offender. I am sorry. If I, if I tell Paul, hey, Paul, I am sorry, who's the focus? Me, not him. That's why I, for, please forgive me is the correct wording. Confession in the Greek means to agree with God. 
Confess your sins one to another. I agree with God that that was inconsistent with my identity. That's what the word confess means. It doesn't mean ask for forgiveness. Confession. You do, you do know that, right? It's a different thing. Confession is to agree with God. So when I ask for, and when I pray to God now on issues where I have inconsistent behavior, I, I get to confess, Father, I confess, I agree with you, that was not who I am. I also confess, here's the best part, I confess my forgiveness. I agree with you, I am forgiven. And I start to speak to my mind so I can start to believe it again. We are looking from the other person, I was wrong, please forgive me. Then they can say, I'm sorry, that's fine. But the I was wrong is owning it. Don't mix these up. After confession, don't say, oh, that's okay, you know, I didn't really hurt anyway. Don't do that. Like, this is so serious, you can't do that. You just neglected the offense. Instead, you say back to the person, I forgive you. I release you. And what you do is you mean you are agreeing, confessing, and own the pain actively and intentionally to let them go. This is a serious step. You may have to go back and watch this again to catch all this because there's a lot of info. I've got four minutes left, so I have to keep going. Comparison of the two. I'm going to take a look at Samuel. Saul told, was told to kill everything uh, in, the, in the place he was going to. That's what, that was the command. And he chose not to. He spared the king and kept the good stuff. He had a little bit of greed snuck in there. So he was confronted. Samuel confronts Saul, and he does a partial obedience. But Saul kept giving excuses. So when you confront somebody, they keep making excuses. And, well, you know, you misunderstood me. Well, this, blah, blah, all that whining. That's not, that's not confession. That's not walking in it, blaming others. Not everyone who says, I'm sorry, is sorry. Saul always tried to save face. And it always comes from a place of pride. Those of the greatest pride have the hardest time admitting humbly, I was wrong. But don't judge them for that either because we each have our own little categories of pride that God is teaching us and helping us let go. Authentic repentance was Bathsheba and David. David straight up admitted, Ah, screwed up! I have sinned. No excuses. Fully agreed. He fully repented from the heart. And after confession, we are looking for a conduct, a change. In Ezra 10, 11, they had just rediscovered the scriptures and the law and started reading them to the people, and their hearts were broken. Here's what they said. So now, they were told, so now confess, verbal, your sin to the Lord, the God of your ancestors, and do action what he demands. Both happen in proper Corrections of relationships. Then the whole assembly raised their voices and answered, Yes, you're right. We must do as you say. If they didn't do it, would it have been of any value? No. Your actions prove your heart. Now, some people think they can do action and fake the heart because they haven't really, you know, they're just doing it a duty. That's not on you. Whoever hears this part that I'm sharing, this is for you personally, so that you don't go through the wrong steps. The 
person needs to set it right and correct the wrong. If the person confesses and then asks, what can I do to make it right, but then refuses to make it right, you're not, you don't tell them they are forgiven then. The relational. You don't tell them that. You, you bite your tongue. Otherwise, you send a wrong message. You may have forgiven them from your heart. That's great. They are forgiven. But the relational part is far more confusing. It's a more difficult roadmap. You have forgiven them in your heart before God already, but you don't communicate it. Otherwise, the offender stops the necessary process for their part. Then restoration, then restoration can come. It's not received until repentance. Repentance may be the beginning of, of restoration. Okay, reconciliation. But don't run ahead. Don't think, oh, that means reconciliation has to happen. No, it doesn't. We just covered, we just covered that. This is part of the, what, that forgiveness is not reconciliation. It may sound confusing, but they are separate things, and you need to divide them. Lewis Smead's author writes, Love does not forever cover up for people. It doesn't forever find excuses for them or protect them. I know a man whose wife is an alcoholic and who, when she drinks, is abusive and cutting, and she hurts her husband very deeply. But he doesn't dare to tell her to get help for herself. He doesn't dare leave her on her own to decide whether she wants to help, and he certainly won't get out of the house to protect himself because he says he loves her too much. Truth is, he doesn't love her enough. He doesn't love her with the bold love of Jesus Christ, the love that would respect her and give her the simplest respect that would let her take responsibility for herself and what she is doing. When we really love people with respect, we let them be accountable for what they do to us, and then we face the crisis, the crisis of forgiveness. Forgiveness is not easy. It is a crisis because it calls for change. The record you've been playing may have to be smashed. The one you've been dancing to may have to be smashed and a better one put in place, but it's painful. And when you smash something, there's a mess. And the mess can be cleaned up. Is God bringing a list of things to your mind that are not honestly dealt with? Will you write them down and see how we can deal with them in the weeks to come? Maybe you rationalized the pain away, suppressed it, put it down. Here's some homework. Psalm 139. Take this to your Heavenly Father in your quietness. Say, Lord, you've searched me. You've examined my heart and know everything about me. You know when I sit down or stand up. Search me. As in, yield, I give myself, I open myself to you, O God. Know my heart, and he does. Test me. Are you sure you want him to test you? But this, this is the heart of trust. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Heck, that's what all the stress does. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. This is a journey. Let God allow you to face the pain so he can deal with it once and for all. Don't mistaken the path of what could be painful with the moment of your forgiveness that has to happen. Don't look down the road, for that is not today. That is tomorrow, and you're not there. Yesterday is gone. It never was. In your mind it is. But right now is what we live from. Right now. Next week we're going to talk about Christmas at home. 
And in the new year, we're going to continue the series on healing life's hurts. I hope it's been an encouragement to you. Unpacking this this time, man, oh man, it's stretching me. And I like it. No, it's not always comfortable because by the time I get up here, I've, I've had time to process it. <laughs> but not always, but a lot of the stuff. I've not arrived. I don't get all this. I just know this is important and true. Would you please bow your heads in a word of prayer with me? Heavenly Father, for the individuals that are hearing this, seeing this, listening, that are having a clear memory of something they need to deal with, would you please bring them peace to know you will help them and walk them through the journey. Bring them to a place of the moment of forgiveness between you and them and teach them to let go and trust you with the rest of the outcome. May our worries stop. Those things that prevent us from doing the very thing you've called us to do. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Hey, thanks for watching today. I hope uh, today's message was encouraging to you and to your heart. Hopefully it impacts you uh, deep, deep down. If it was encouraging, would you consider making a donation? There are some links below. Uh, do a $10, $20, $100, whatever it is. Um, just help us spread the word. Get the word out to more and more people, and your don donations will make it possible and uh, keeps us going. So thank you. Every little bit helps.